am I? Good morning. I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to Praise, the program that connects faith and daily life. Today's program is chiefly about music, as my special guest is a recent visitor who came to meet and offer support to anyone involved or interested in church music making. And listen out too for something about a workplace with a difference. We're going to be talking about the value of all kinds of music in worship. So let's start with a hymn from Wallingford Parish Church Choir, He Who Would Valiant Be. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the programme this morning Reverend Helen Bent. Helen is the Head of Ministerial Training for the Royal School of Church Music. She is herself a worship leader, a musician, as well as being an author, a teacher and a trainer. So you can tell from all of that we're going to have lots to talk about. Helen, first of all, good morning and welcome. Did you grow up in a very musical environment? Yes, I think I probably started playing the piano as soon as I could touch the keyboard. My mum and my dad and my brother were all competent pianists. And so, you know, the expectation was just there in me that I would just join in with the rest of the family. My father was a church organist for pretty much all of his adult life. And singing was just a natural part of what we did at home. We were a church-going family. I was always an angel, never Mary, because I could sing. But I think one of the key influences in my life, which I think I've only just recently come to appreciate, was my grandmother. My granny was quite a Victorian, rather stiff and starchy lady. 
And she would limit what we could do on a Sunday afternoon. So we would go for tea on a Sunday afternoon. And about the most interesting thing was playing hymns on the piano. And the children's hymn book would be placed on the music stand on the piano. And so looking back, that's how I spent so many of my Sunday afternoons. So by nine years old, I was playing the piano for hymns for the junior Sunday school because I could. And I think I owe that foundation to my grandmother. And I think then, I mean, I was very blessed that I had a a very good classical musical education through secondary school and then through university. Um, I specialised in singing and piano, but also played the flute. Um, But at the same time, um, that was as the charismatic movement was just beginning to, to grow. And so I was introduced to worship bands and choruses and new sorts of music at the same time that's when I came to faith and so there's an interesting mixture of appreciating church music right across the spectrum and really I think my faith grew with that development of charismatic worship so that played a big influence as I was growing up Through school and through university, I had sung in a lot of big choirs where I guess the music was chosen for me. And so I'd had the opportunities to sing in nine lessons and carols and to develop that that kind of choral repertoire of oratorio and an opera. But alongside that, then there was the freedom to choose other music ourselves and to explore how we began to tick as as a young person's group, I guess. You get influenced by your peers and uh, working out your faith in that group. So I think it was an interesting mix. And both of those strands were going alongside each other and and to a certain extent have done ever since. Because I've always had that classical element in my experience, but I've also spent 40 years my kind of home, I suppose, in worship is on the more evangelical end of the church spectrum, playing in worship bands, which is perhaps not what people expect of the head of ministerial training for the Royal School of Church Music. (laughs) I'm loving this conversation more and more. So you've come through a university. Were you teaching after that? Yes, I I worked as a music teacher for a while, then went on to theological college. I'm married to a vicar as well, so we went off to theological college. And uh, at that point, I'd been very involved in church music and I, I kind of thought I wouldn't let on that I played the piano. And I think my resolve lasted about four days and it wasn't long before I was involved in the choir and in one of the music teams for college because that's kind of who I am. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, you it, know, it you is. can't stop being involved in that sort of thing. It is in your DNA. Absolutely. So at that point, I, I candidated for ordination. I was ordained in Norwich Diocese. And to some extent, I think... I perhaps thought I was laying the music stuff aside and really focusing on parish ministry and seeing how things develop from there. But of course, I am a musician through and through as well as a priest. And so it wasn't long before the music started bubbling up again. And it was, I think, consolidated by going on a new wine leaders retreat. 
there was an opportunity on this retreat for us to pray for one another. And when it came to my turn, one of the, the guys had a vision that he shared with me. And he saw many singers, angels and people singing beautiful melodies, beautiful harmonies, reaching musical heights that he'd not heard before. And he had the impression that they were singing over me which was an incredibly powerful and humbling experience. But this would be of growing importance in my ministry. And to me, it was as if God was bringing me full circle and combining the priestly with the, the ministry. And you look in Chronicles and it talks there about the priests who were also musicians. And I kind of read that and, you know, my heart sang because that's who I am. Zephaniah 3.17 is not the most familiar Bible reference to most people, but it says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And I think that has been God's word to me personally, but also a calling to me to do that for other people and to enable them to do that in their local communities. I want to say a little bit now about the Royal School of Church Music because that has also been a significant strand in my worship experience. Although I've only worked for it in a full-time employment role for the last four years, I've been involved with it as an organisation for 2025. And I think it's a great organisation to work for, both as a volunteer and as a member of staff. But I think its title makes it sound a bit stuffy and a bit old fashioned. And to be fair, it was established in 1927 and our patron is the Queen. We have members in over 40 countries worldwide. And here in the UK, we've got a wealth of professional experience and well-respected staff. But they do cover the full breadth of what we might interpret as music for worship, right from the kind of ancient and the traditional, from plain song through hymnody, through the English choral tradition, to the contemporary. And of course, within contemporary, we can have the more classical and we can have the more worship band, worship song styles. And so I think we have a huge wealth and resource there. And the aim of the organisation is to develop church music across that whole spectrum of tradition and styles and genres to enable choirs and organs, yes, you know, that is still there, but also to develop instrumental groups, to develop other sorts of singing groups, worship bands, and to particularly cater for those churches who have limited or think they have no resources. Are we teaching the truth in love? Telling it like Telling all that he had done to 
fulfill the good commandments. He knew every single one. Jesus said there's something that indeed he did like the Savior told the truth. He didn't hold the message back. He was teaching the truth in love. Telling it like it is. While holding pure motives and showing that he cared, he was teaching the truth in love. And I think one of the things that also thrills me, and this part of me that's always slightly on the favour of the, the underdog, is inspiring people to discover those hidden talents that are actually there amongst them. I mean, I don't believe that there is anybody who can't sing. And I have found a lot of growlers, but I have taught them to sing over the years. I spent a lot of time as a singing teacher. And uh, I think one of the keys is giving people the confidence to have a go and to think that they can, because we all have our own voice and that's a unique God-given gift. And inevitably, some of us will be better at singing than others, but we nevertheless all can sing in some form or other and it's developing that and giving people permission and the opportunity to discover their own voice and to enjoy it. People feel that they've got a mismatch of instruments they perhaps have no organist or no organ and so they look at what they've got and think those won't really go together or there's no music written for a triangle or whatever it might be but that also can be overcome can't it? Having a tambourine didn't seem to be a problem for Miriam when they came through the Red Sea because she took her tambourine and she led the people of Israel in praise and worship and it was spontaneous response to what God was doing at that moment. Uh, now, you know, you go a few centuries later and you see the, the tabernacle and the temple and there is the formal, the organised. And, you know, they knew what a big choir was. And, you know, 120 trumpets would have been loud. Um, you know, and they were skilled musicians. So, you know, you've got this contrast between the spontaneous and the well-schooled, well-trained, and they're all there giving their worship to God. And is this really, Helen, what you're about? Going to churches and saying to people, bring me what you've got and, uh, and, and here's what we can do with it? Yes, I think so. And helping them to discover the talent that is there. And of course, you get the classic, what do I do if I've got a saxophone and a flute? Which is often the case, you know, we might have a couple of brass or woodwind instruments we might have a squeeze box you know and a pair of spoons for all I know you know it could be quite random but actually it's drawing out from people that innate gifting and be authentic in their situation and when we marry the right music with the right words that makes a connection with us emotionally and spiritually and mentally you know, everything comes together in the most remarkable way um, to uplift and to bring glory to God. It's all of those things happening all at the same time. Just going back to your question about instruments, from my classical musical education, I would want to say that, you know, when we look at an orchestra, 
not all the instruments are doing the same thing and nor are they all playing at the same time. And one of the mistakes we make is that if we've only got a flute and a horn, that they have to play all the time. But actually, we need to think a little bit more carefully about where is appropriate for them to play and which songs may be better for one particular instrument and which songs are appropriate for another. And it's interesting to me that actually in the evangelical wing of the church, we do so much singing, but we don't actually sing the liturgy. And, you know, the parts of the liturgy, like the Gloria, are designed to be sung. You know, they're the words of the angels. We want to to sing them in a way that kind of matches with that worship song style. And I think that's one of the reasons why sometimes we don't sing them, because we're struggling to find the right setting. If we can actually sing them as well, and the same with the, the Sanctus, that holy, holy, the, the, you know, therefore with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we want it to, to be sung and to be uplifting. And it kind of words and the preparation are all there. And it loses something if it's only said. One of the amazing things about Psalms is their longevity. You know, these are the songs that have been handed down from one generation to another, initially orally, and then as we were able to write things down, we get different musical settings, so many rich settings of Psalms in different styles and genres. But they are also the songs that Jesus would have sung. You know, he would have learned them from boyhood. He would have known them off by heart. They were the songs that sustained him at different points in his life and in his ministry. And that is amazing. Lord, to you my soul is lifted. Let me never be ashamed. Look at me 
in your forgiveness for the honor of your setting of the ancient words of Psalm 25, Lord, to you my soul is lifted. I'm talking to Reverend Helen Bent, who, in her role as Head of Ministerial Development at the Royal School of Church Music, wants to open up ways for everyone to share in and enjoy music in worship. To help this to happen, she's written a book called Inspiring Music in Worship. It's a series of five sessions of guided conversations to encourage churches to make best use of music to enhance their worship, even when they have few resources. I asked Helen how the book developed. The Royal School of Church Music is an organisation who tries to listen carefully to the needs of churches. And in putting this book together, that's where I began. And I spent the first 18 months doing research and listening. So that's kind of where this book started. I wanted to match the real needs in the sort of resource that I produced so that people could be inspired and could actually reach for new things that perhaps they hadn't thought about before and they hadn't seen before and which were actually within their grasp. Five sessions, people are busy, but five sessions are manageable. They can set aside that time. The subtitle is Guided Conversations, and I want to get people talking to each other about worship, about music, their styles they like, the styles that they don't like. Why? Unpacking that with each other and really listening to each other. But also, I am a a practitioner myself. You know, I lead worship in a local church week on week. Um, My husband is a vicar. We've always been involved in church worship ourselves. And so I'm actually speaking out of experience of the local church. And in my church, I have the volunteers who happen to be in my church at this present time. I don't have great resources at my fingertips. I just have the people that I have at this particular moment in time. And so I want to to draw out the best and enable the skills that are there. And, And so that's actually running through what I do as well. We've got this first section, what does it mean to be a worshipping person? Then we go on to discovering skills and releasing gifts, music and mission, starting from where we are. And then the final section is setting a new vision for music and worship. But you invite us to look at a timeline of where we've been. I think the timeline, well, it came out of a conversation with a vicar, actually, of an Anglican Methodist LEP. And they were wondering who was Methodist, who were Anglican. 
Now, the reality in the local church is that often we have a huge mix of people from very different backgrounds. And certainly um, in my church, I've got people from Roman Catholic background through to Salvation Army and everything in between. And to actually look at where they have come from and the churches they've worshipped in, we begin to understand why we aren't singing from the same song sheet, as it were. Because we begin to understand the things that we value because of the traditions and because of the backgrounds that we've come from. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we can't embrace those things that are special to one another. But the timeline helps us to look at it in a different way and to to actually approach each other in a different way and to value the riches that we bring from those particular different worship experiences. Helen, this is your first visit. A word or two about what you found on the island. Oh, I have loved my time here. I think partly because of the heritage. I love exploring the history and the culture of a place. And here we have such an interesting mix of Celtic spirituality, the Manx background, the fact that the diocese once belonged to Scandinavia and was part of Nidaros before it became part of the Church of England. You know, you have so many rich strands. We've seen such a resurgence in Celtic spirituality in the last 40 or 50 years. You know, how does that work here? Because it's not going to work in quite the same way in the Isle of Man as it is in Iona or in Ireland or in Cornwall or other places in the Thumberland community. It's going to have a an authentic voice here, which is slightly different, you know, and I would want to explore the Celtic crosses and, you know, the keels and your heritage that you have here and see how can we marry that with the contemporary? How can we make that relevant to our current culture? and make connections and accessibility for the mission of the church today. How much composition do you do now, Helen? That's a very interesting one. I was quite good at composition, I have to say, at university. And it's been one of those slightly irritations, I think, in the back of my mind that I haven't done really any composition at all throughout my musical experience in the church. Now, I have to admit that probably that is because I haven't really worked at it as well. And uh, at our international summer school, we had two composers in residence, one from the more classical choral tradition, one from the worship song tradition. Chatting to them, I was thinking, I really do need to put a bit of effort into this. And uh, I think particularly the one composer, Joel Payne, who's from the worship song tradition, inspired me to have a bit of a go and has given me some tools to begin to do that. So it's a watch this space moment. Thank you to my guest today, Reverend Helen Bent. And if you go to the Royal School of Church Music website, you'll find sample pages from Helen's book, Inspiring Music in Worship, which will give you a real feel for how the sessions work and the topics that they cover. And in the notes with today's podcast, I'll include a link to the website and to Helen's book. And finally, how does it feel to be part of a company that gives a vast amount of its profits away to charity every single year? 
Ramsey-based AFD Software does exactly that, supporting a range of local, national and global charities with very substantial donations. This year, the total distributed was almost a million pounds. And at their celebration charity night last Thursday, company directors Alison and David Doricott paid tribute to their entire AFD staff team, whose consistent hard work makes the company successful and so able to make these generous gifts. And this is why all the charities who benefit are nominated by members of AFD staff. In particular, the Doricots thanked team member Lindsay Corkill, who, in her capacity as charities manager, has the awesome responsibility of organising the annual charity distribution and many other similar events held through the year at the Mountain View Innovation Centre. I caught up with Lindsay at the end of Thursday's charity night. I actually consider myself extremely fortunate to be in this position, to have a role that allows me to meet all the different charities, to liaise with them. I get to learn what they do inside out. And, and actually, I think that I probably get more benefit than everybody else. So I'm incredibly lucky. We have a great team around us as well. Um, I couldn't do half of what I did um, this evening or for the other events without the team that we've got. We've got some great guys. And so, yeah, it's a real team effort. David and Alison Doricott always do pay tribute to the whole AFD team. Would you say there's a special atmosphere around here? It is most definitely. Um, I think we probably identify more as a family than a company. We've got people that have been here for over 25 years. In the last 12 months, I think we've celebrated two 10-year anniversaries, two 25-year anniversaries. And I think it's just that the holistic approach that they take to running a company and to employing people. We don't just turn up and work nine to five and go home. Some of us have mortgages through the loyalty scheme. Um, there's an electric car scheme that's run here. You know, and even just down to tax-free grocery vouchers at the end of the month. So it's it's more than just a job. And it's, yeah, most definitely more than just a job. And that's very special because, let's face it, you spend a lot of time at work, don't you? That's it. I mean, I probably spend more time with my colleagues than I do with my family sometimes. So it's really important that we're able to laugh together. You know, and there's times as well that we cry together and we all know each other so well people spend time out of and um, work together so yeah it really does create that sort of family dynamic and it is a little bit infectious I think it's would be true to say speaking on behalf of the visitors who've been up here tonight certainly you go away just feeling a little bit better about life that's no bad thing is it it's definitely not you know that's really pleasing to hear we all work so hard you know even just from the gardeners and the properties team they make that drive that you come down so beautiful then to the welcome you get and then the catering team and everything just comes together to create this beautiful atmosphere at Mountain View. It's definitely somewhere where special things happen. Lindsay, thank you for an excellent evening and for chatting with me. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Judith. Thank you for listening to this week's Praise Podcast. There's a new Praise Podcast available every Sunday morning. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify via the Manx Radio smartphone app or at manxradio.com. So, till we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for your company and I wish you and those you love every blessing in the days ahead.
Station, Station, Manx Radio.